We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? Welcome to the financial physician, Lou Scatigna here. So great to be with you on this Monday morning, first day in July. Hopefully, you're enjoying the summer. We get together each and every Monday, uh, 9 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. on the West Coast for one hour of Money Talk. We talk about money, we talk about markets, we talk about politics, anything that affects your financial life here on The Financial Position. If you're listening live to the program and you want to join us on the program, 866-472-5788 is the call number. All right, so we're into the third quarter, and it's a good uh, opportunity to look at what happened in financial markets in the second quarter and year-to-date, and uh, the big winner, stocks. I mean, stocks uh, has had a great, great six months in uh, 2013 with the, the Dow up almost 14%, and that was after a relatively meager return in the second quarter. Dow Jones was up about uh, 2.5% uh, in the second quarter, and the S&P up to 0.4%, and the NASDAQ was the big winner in the stock market, up 4.2% in the second quarter. So year-to-date, we have a great stock market, but if you look at June, June was a pretty disastrous month for the market. Ben Bernanke came out early in the month, and he started talking about the possibility, the maybe it could happen event of tapering his quantitative easing money printing policy, and the market reacted very violently to that. Uh, the market has been going up both the stock market and the bond market because of the juice that the Federal Reserve is providing to the markets in way of their quantitative easing program. For those who don't know what quantitative easing is, it's just a, a fancy term. I don't even know who came up with that term, but uh, quantitative easing is a nice name for printing money and buying bonds in the open market with that money. Sounds like a good thing to do, right? Well, print uh, $85 billion a month and then... Uh, buy treasury bonds, buy mortgage bonds, keep interest rates low, see some of that money flow into the stock market, have stocks go up, 
have that wealth effect that people see in their 401ks go up. And that's the whole idea of quantitative easing. Keep interest rates low, try to repair the housing market, try to inflate the stock market, uh, and, uh, and, and keep bond prices in check. And it's worked for quite a bit. You know, it's worked for probably the last three or four years since the Federal Reserve started their quantitative easing program. But there is a price to pay for that. And the price you pay for that is ultimately going to be inflation and potentially a currency crisis. And uh, unless the Fed really starts cutting back on this, that's where we're going. Now, if you look at how the markets reacted, I mean, down almost a 1,000 points on the Dow shortly after Ben Bernanke came out a couple of weeks ago and said that he may, possibly, could happen, taper his quantitative easing, the markets reacted very violently. Stocks down big. We saw the bond market drop big. And what we've seen in the past, usually, is when stocks go down, that money finds its way into the bond market as a safety trade, and bond prices tend to go up and yields tend to go down. But what's troubling this time around, when people sold stocks, they did not buy government bonds. So what did they do with it? They just kept it in cash. And we saw bonds actually be sold off. We saw interest rates go up in the bond market dramatically, which is having a negative effect on the stock market and also on the overall economy. Interest rates on a 10-year Treasury bond, which were only at 1.5%, 1.6% on May 1st, jumped dramatically to 2.6% last week. I mean, that's a huge increase in interest rates. I mean, as a percent, you're talking about 60% increase in interest rates just in a few weeks. And violent moves like that in the bond market are very uncommon, and it causes all kinds of problems, not only for our markets here, uh, but all around the world. It triggers all kinds of derivative problems. Banks that were holding treasury bonds got killed. Uh, uh, Anybody who had interest rate derivatives got killed. And this is very, very troubling. More importantly than the stock market going down, it's really been the bond market that's really been concerning uh, to most market participants because the economy is very fragile. It was just announced last week that first quarter gross domestic product was revised down to 1.8% uh, from 2.4%. That's a significant revision down. And you don't usually see that kind of a revision, uh, especially on a third adjustment of the GDP. Now, many people are saying that a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, taxes went up, the payroll tax went up 2% on January 1st, and I think that has a lot to do with it. And consumer spending uh, was uh, adjusted down dramatically, and consumer spending makes up about two-thirds of the total GDP. Uh, and uh, so that was a you know, two-pronged uh, negative to the uh, economy. And now that we're seeing interest rates go up in the bond market, it's very troubling because when you have a weak economy, and you have interest rates rising in a weak economy, uh, that's a death knell for the economy. And we're seeing it in housing. Home builder stocks have gone down dramatically since Ben Bernanke came out and said he may uh, not raise interest rates but taper his money printing. And that's the thing to keep in mind. I mean, the Fed did not come out and say that uh, uh, we're going to raise interest rates or we're going to tighten. They didn't say that at all. They just said that they were going to taper. In other words, instead of printing $85 billion a month and buying bonds, maybe they do $65 billion a month. Now, if that kind of move is going to make the markets crazy, what will happen if, I don't think it's going to happen, but if they did stop altogether quantitative easing? And he mentioned that in his statement when, uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, if economic conditions are right by mid-2014, um, that they may end the program entirely. Now, again, it's pretty much impossible because the Federal Reserve has been buying about 75% of all U.S. 
Treasury bonds being issued this year. Uh, and if they're not there to buy, uh, who's going to buy them? Certainly at these prices and these yields, nobody. So I think a lot of what Ben Bernanke's saying is just uh, really uh, hot air. He has no intention of cutting or ending quantitative easing because the carnage from that would be uh, dramatic, not only here in the United States, uh, but worldwide. So the uh, big winners, though, year-to-date have been stocks around the world who have benefited by that quantitative easing, um, notwithstanding uh, June's uh, very uh, meager returns. Uh, but we still have uh, the second half of, uh, of, the, of 2013 to get through, and, and my guess simply is that we will see uh, continued volatility in the stock market. We're seeing, I think over the last 10 days, I think nine of them uh, were up or down 100 points in the Dow, and that's, that's something that you don't usually see that kind of volatility. And whether it's 100 points up or 100 points down, 150 points up, 150 points down, it doesn't really matter if it's up or down. That kind of movement shows increasing volatility in the market. And it's something that we usually see when a market's starting to hit a top. You start to see that kind of volatility. So I'm very concerned, as is many uh, market followers, that we're at the at, at maybe at the beginnings of a, either uh, a major correction or something even worse. What do I mean by worse? Well, something akin to what happened in 2008, a total market meltdown. And I think there's a very good chance that we're going to see that between now and um, the end of the year, and most likely probably in the fall. We could have volatility through the summer, but the summers tend to be not too bad because as if it's on vacation, there's not a lot of volume in the market. But that doesn't mean you can't have it happen in, in, um, in the summer. You can, but more likely than not, you'll see it in the fall. Most major stock market corrections, most crashes do happen uh, in September, October. Now, why does that happen? I don't know. I haven't heard anybody really explain it, why September and October tends to be the two worst months in the market, but it tends to be. In 2008, the big crash happened in September into October. Back in 1987, uh, we saw the market crash on October 19th, uh, going back to Black Monday, uh, October uh, 29th. So we've seen uh, all kinds of uh, carnage in September and October, and I think this year uh, we may see that again, especially if we see interest rates continue to rise. And, and, and it looks like that's what's going to happen here. Now, the Fed can come out at any time and say, you know, the economy is starting to, to weaken again, so therefore we're not going to taper our quantitative easing anytime soon. And if they come out and say that, I think that you're going to see uh, the stock market rise again. You know, because that fuel, that's fuel for the market. I mean, that money that's being printed. You know, $85 billion, we throw these numbers around, and I think almost every week on this program the last few weeks I've been trying to explain to you that $85 billion is a lot of money. And if we look at it uh, from the millions standpoint, uh, it takes $1,000 million to make a billion. That's a lot of money. Think about it. We'd all like to have a thousand. Uh, we'd all like to have a million dollars. Imagine a thousand million. Well, times that by 85, and you have $85,000 million that are being created out of thin air and uh, injected into the bond market. And it's been going on for a long time. When the, the crisis started, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, how much money they had printed and how many securities they have on, on hand, was about $600 billion. Now it's over $3 trillion. That's money that's being created out of thin air, going into the marketplace, depressing bond yields, stoking the stock market higher. But again, if, that was, if, if, if it was that easy, every government would do that. 
and everybody will live happily ever after. But the problem is, ultimately, you print too many dollars, the value of the dollar declines, and people start taking their money out of stocks, but most importantly, bonds. And that's what we're starting to see happen now. It was just reported over the weekend that foreign investors, namely foreign central banks, were the biggest sellers of treasury bonds in many, many years. As opposed to coming and buying our debt, as the Chinese did for many, many years, uh, these countries now are selling our debt, which simply means that the Federal Reserve has to be the buyer of last resort. And where they're going to, how are they going to do that? By printing money. That's why the talk about tapering off quantitative easing or, or stopping it altogether, uh, it just isn't going to happen. And Ben Bernanke knows that. Everybody at the Fed knows that. Nobody knows better than they do. But they're trying to manage markets. The problem you have with the market going up so much, I mean, think about it, you know, 14% in six months is a big move in the market, one of the largest moves we've seen in about 13 years. And when you have stocks going up that quickly, they could easily crash at any time. And that's the big problem that the Fed has, is they're creating bubbles, and bubbles ultimately burst. And I think what Ben was trying to do by coming out of his meeting and, and saying that they may possibly could happen, start cutting back on quantitative easing, the market reacted so violently. The markets are dependent on the Federal Reserve at this point. The economy is dependent on the Federal Reserve at this point. Housing is dependent on the Federal Reserve at this point. Let's take a look at mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have, draw, uh, have uh, risen dramatically in the last two weeks since the Fed announced this. Mortgage rates were at historic lows just recently uh, under 4%, right around 35 3.6%. Last week it was announced that mortgage rates have jumped to 4.3%. That's a huge increase in interest rates. And it's having its effect. It's having its effect on refinancings. First-time uh, uh, refinancing applications dropped dramatically last week. Well, who wants to refinance at 4.3 or 4.4 when just a couple of weeks ago interest rates were at 3.5? Well, nobody wants to do that. They're going to hang around and wait to see if they come down again. Housing stock, uh, stocks, companies that build homes, their stocks dropped dramatically, and they were recovering very nicely as the housing market started to recover. And that is concern that the housing market now will resume its down trend as interest rates rise. So there's all kinds of risks to the economy and to financial markets by the Fed ending quantitative easing. And that's why they can't do it. And they know they can't do it. And the markets told them over the last couple of weeks that they can't do it. Now, one of the worst markets this year uh, was gold. Gold plunged to a 34-month um, low last week, and that was a record quarterly drop. Again, as uh, this talk about the Federal Reserve ending its money printing. Now, now this, this is a typical thing in the gold-silver market. Every time the Fed announces anything, uh, gold and silver go down. I mean, it's uh, the most manipulated market out there. But the bottom line is gold has dropped 23% in the second quarter. And that's the biggest loss in one quarter since 1920. And a lot of people, myself included, got hurt by that. And, you know, you make sure, you know, you scratch your head. You say, you know, the Fed's been printing money all this time and gold's been going down. And then you have anecdotal evidence that everybody around the world is lining up to buy gold and silver, can't get it have to wait weeks to get delivery, so demand is skyrocketing, supply is dwindling, and the price is crashing. It's the only market that can do that. And I think that the correction, or whatever you want to call it, in the downturn in gold, was A, manufactured. 
I think it was manufactured by the bullion banks that were major shorts in gold, and I think the Federal Reserve had coordinated with them to, to, to keep uh, gold uh, suppressed because the last thing they want is gold and silver flying when uh, they're printing money. So let gold and silver go down. Let's make it go down. How do they make it go down? Very easily. Print money, sell futures contracts, paper gold, could push the price of gold down very easily, and that's what they did. And my guess now is what we're seeing is uh, uh, the same short players who made a fortune going short the metals and pushing it down are now covering their shorts and getting ready to go long. And when they go long, when they start buying gold and silver, they no longer are going to be suppressing it because they know it's coming down the pike. And now it looks like this whole takedown in the precious metals complex over the last six months, mainly the last three months, was due uh, to these bullion banks who needed to cover uh, a significant, significant short position, and, uh, and now are poised to uh, become owners of gold and ride it to new highs. And I think, uh, regardless of what we've seen year to date, I think people who weren't in the gold market or were looking to get into to gold now have the opportunity to buy gold at and silver, especially at amazing discounted prices. Right now, gold's about twelve hundred dollars an ounce. The high was nineteen hundred a year and almost two years ago. Silver. 18 and change, I think it's 19 now, that was the low. It was $49 two years ago. And nothing has changed as far as the reason to own gold. As a matter of fact, the reasons are far more significant as our debt grows, as our deficits grow, and as the Fed continues to print money. All right, we're going to take a short break. 866-472-5788 is our phone number. My name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Financial Physician. And America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna, is here to help you. Call with your questions now at 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Once again, here's Lou. 
All right, welcome back to The Financial Physician, where we get together each and every Monday, 9 on the East, 6 a.m. on the West Coast, right here on voiceamerica.com's variety channel. And we talk about markets, money, and politics. And before the break, we were talking about carnage in the bond market, how interest rates have been going up in the bond market uh, over the last few weeks, uh, right after Ben Bernanke came out and intimated that the Federal Reserve may slow down their quantitative easing, their money printing, their bond buying, and they ended all together sometime in 2014. And the stock market reacted violently. The, the bond market reacted even more violently. And the key to the world economy and markets in general is the bond market. It's not the stock market. The stock market reacts to the bond market. Bond markets are so much bigger, so much more liquid, right, and so much um, influential on the world economy because interest rates, the, the amount uh, that it costs for governments to borrow money, municipalities to borrow money, and you and me to borrow money, whether it's to buy a house or a car or anything, you know, is affected by the bond market. And the economy is very weak. Witness the GDP announcement on Friday, only up 1.8% in the first quarter. That's after being up only four-tenths of 1% in the fourth quarter last year. So the first quarter, uh, 1.8 is very, very weak growth, and that's with low interest rates. Interest rates start going up, and you're going to see negative economic growth. And I think that's what we're going to see probably in the, in the third quarter here coming into it. We're going to see the second quarter numbers in the next couple of weeks. But I think the, the increase in interest rates late June um, will be uh, seen in economic numbers uh, in the third quarter. And I think this can bring us right into recession again. So uh, the bond market is what we need to look at. And here's an article that came out. Uh, when was this came out? This came out today. Uh, and it's on Yahoo Finance, and it says, unprecedented, this is the headline, unprecedented, quote-unquote, $80 billion pulled from bond funds. A record amount of money poured out of exchange-traded and mutual bond funds in June, according to a fresh report by TrimTabs. Nearly double the amount pulled out of bond funds at the height of the financial crisis in October 2008. I mean, that's a big statement right there. Double the amount that was pulled out of bond funds during the financial crisis. Investors' fears over the scaling back of the U.S. Federal Reserve's bond purchasing program has seen the yield on the 10-year treasuries rise sharply to 2.5% as $80 billion left bond funds in June. Quote, the herd is scrambling for the exit this month as bond yields back up across the board and central bankers hint that they might provide less monetary stimulus in the future, unquote. And that's from TrimTab CEO David Sanchi. We estimate that bond mutual funds have lost $70.8 billion in June through Thursday, June 27th, while bond exchange-traded funds have lost $9 billion. The rush out of bonds could be about to get even worse, according to the research firm, which says that more bond investors could take flight after receiving their quarterly statements in the coming weeks, noticing that their safe, quote-unquote, safe bond funds are delivering losses instead of gains. The global sell-off on bonds began on May 22nd, after the minutes of the Fed's policy meeting signaled that its bond-buying program, which has suppressed yields and boost stocks, could soon be paired back. Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke echoed that view at a press meeting last Wednesday, suggesting that asset purchases could be scaled back later this year if economic data continued to show improvement. So, I mean, we're talking about a mass exodus of money from the bond market, from bond mutual funds, from ETFs, and as I said earlier in the program, we see foreign central banks, net sellers, significant net sellers of uh, U.S. Treasury bonds as well. 
We're also seeing uh, corporate bonds go down right across the board. Anything that's debt-related, municipal bonds, treasury bonds, corporate bonds, all going down dramatically uh, in late June. And if we see this continue, we're going to see interest rates rise. Now, earlier in the year, I said key is the bond market. Watch the yield on the 10-year treasury bond. And I said the, the big concern will be when we hit two and a quarter, uh, but I would really be concerned if we breach two and a half. And as we speak right now, the interest rates on the 10-year um, U.S. Treasury bond is 2.54. And again, we had a significant drop in the stock market, significant volatility, and usually that money flows into the bond market as an alternative, and we don't see it here. So uh, the bond market is very concerning to me. It's very concerning to all markets, not only the United States market, but, but worldwide, and, uh, and we'll have to continue to follow it. Now, we may see a bounce here in the market. Uh, the Fed may come out and you know temper uh, what they're saying, and they tend to do that when markets get a little edgy. They'll come out and make a statement that will kind of calm the market down a little bit. And over the weekend, a couple of uh, Fed governors came out and said, "Well, the economy doesn't look so good, and you know it may not come to a tapering after all, and and so forth and so on." So uh, the bond market though is sending a message here, and it'll affect every aspect of the economy, and it's. Immediate effect has been on housing, as we've seen uh, the housing stocks go down, and as we've seen mortgage rates go up quite dramatically uh, from all-time lows of around three and a half uh, to. Uh, I was just looking at uh, the most recent quote: four point four six is what a thirty-year uh, fixed-rate mortgage is now. Historically, that's low, uh, but compared to where it was um, just a few weeks back, it's high, and it's 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 having a, a very significantly negative effect on potential. Uh, purchases of homes right now where people are going through the mortgage process. And if they haven't locked in a rate yet, uh, they may not be able to afford a 4.46 mortgage where they could have afforded a 3.5. Uh, and that may affect their qualifications for mortgages and so forth. So it's going to filter out uh, throughout the entire economy if it doesn't turn around. So keep an eye on what the Fed's doing. Keep an eye on what um, the, the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond is doing. It is very, very important in the developments the last few weeks. I think people are underestimating. All right, Social Security. Let's talk about Social Security. It's, uh, for many people, it's um, the only income they get. Uh, and for many people who are 50 uh, or older, uh, about a third to four, uh, 40% of people believe that Social Security is going to be their primary source of income in retirement. And those of you out there who are living on Social Security uh, we'll be the first to tell these people, uh-uh, you don't want to live on Social Security alone. It's just not enough to get by. I think the average Social Security check is about $1,200 a month. Uh, think about it. Can you live on $1,200 a month? And uh, that's what you're going to be looking at if you do not do any other retirement planning. And uh, God knows how long Social Security is going to be here. As you know, it's always talked about that, that Social Security is uh, going insolvent at a certain time down the line. But, it's already broke. I mean, there was a surplus in Social Security, a $2.7 trillion surplus. What was happening, that payroll tax that was coming out of workers' salaries over the years was going into a fund. Uh, they would pay out benefits, but there was more coming in than going out until recently. Now, that $2.7 trillion that is, had been built up is not there. The government borrowed it or stole it or took it, whatever you want, and gave them bonds or some kind of paper note you know, uh, in exchange for that. But that money's gone. But, but now, Social Security Administration now is at a deficit. So Social Security is absolutely in danger. And if anybody's 
you know, 50 years old or younger, can you be sure that Social Security is going to be there for you in 12 years or 15 years? In 2025 to 2030? Well, many people are concerned that it won't be. Now, the world that we live in now, I mean, to talk 12, 15 years down the line, I mean, two months is a long time in economies and financial markets these days and geopolitics and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Social Security um, wasn't really meant to be someone's only income. It was meant to be uh, something in addition to a pension or other income that you have. Realize, when Social Security came out, people were getting pensions. I mean, this wasn't uh, uh, something where nobody was getting any income at retirement. People were getting pensions. This was something to, in addition to that. And over the years, the pension has gone away. Very rare, unless you work for a union or you work for a government, that you have a pension. You work in a private sector, they'll give you a 401k plan where you could take some of your salary and put it away for yourself. Uh, but the, the traditional defined benefit pensions are gone. So people who don't do planning are going to have to rely on Social Security if it's there, and they're going to live on a very meager income. So it's very important that you look at Social Security and say, you know, it may not be there for me, or if it's going to be there for me, it's not going to be enough, and you've got to start socking money away for retirement. And that's the big problem that, that many Americans have, is that they, um, they don't put money away for retirement, and they don't start saving early. You know, maybe at 55, you say, oh, geez, honey, um, you know, we're going to be retiring in uh, less than 10 years. Maybe we should start putting money away. But the key here is starting early, and the earlier you start, the more money you're going to have and the better standard of living you're going to have when you retire. It's that simple. And the first thing is the 401k. If you do not take part in the 401k that your company offers, you're making the biggest mistake you can possibly do, right? especially if your company offers matching contributions. So get the most out of the plan. At least put enough in the plan that you get the matching contribution uh, from the employer. It's, it's free money. Roth IRAs, another popular savings vehicle for retirement. It's the only IRA to consider. Forget the traditional IRA. That's no good. The Roth IRA, it's tax-free if you hold it long enough. You never pay tax on withdrawals. You don't get a tax deduction when you put the money in, but you can get the money out tax-free. Traditional IRAs, you get a tax deduction when you put the money in. It grows tax-deferred, but you pay tax on the way out. And many of my clients are retired. I do their taxes. I manage their investments, and they have to take money out of their IRA live off of, or they have to take required minimum distributions when they're 70. So that money coming onto their tax return makes their Social Security taxable in, in many cases. So it's a bad thing to have income taxable when you're retired. So the Roth IRA allows you to invest um, $5,500 a year and have it grow tax-free. Now, if you're over 50, it's $6,500 a year. That's a lot of money. So between you and your spouse, if you're over 50, you could put away $13,000 a year. So start early. Do not wait. Another mistake people make is they borrow from their retirement fund. Both 401Ks and, and, and IRAs allow you to withdraw money early. But you don't want to do it unless it's a true emergency and there's no other options for you. Otherwise, leave that money alone. Taking premature distributions not only lowers the balance of the amount of money you have for retirement, but again, you will incur significant fees namely a 10% penalty by the IRS plus tax on the money you take out. So avoid borrowing from retirement savings. Take a home equity loan. Do anything you can to avoid that. Because not only do you pay the price now, that's the price you're going to pay. Not only the money you're taking out, say you take ten grand out. Well, you're not taking out ten grand in retirement funds. You're taking it out 
10 grand plus what it would grow to when you retired. So the 10 grand you're taking out now may be 30 grand of retirement money. And that's the way you got to look at it. And you got to understand that people are living longer. And re- retirement planning is uh, getting more expensive. Rather than needing income for 10 or 15 years, you may need it for 20 or 25 years or even longer. And it's not unreasonable to think uh, you'll make it past 90. You know, back when Social Security first came out, you know, people would retire at 62 and they'd be dead before 70. I mean, that, that was the life expectancy of humans back in the 1940s and 50s. But with medical advancements and better ways of taking care of ourselves and things that we know about health, people are living longer. And I got many clients in their 90s. I have a client that's 102. So you got to plan that your life is going to be, your retirement life is going to be real long. And another thing you want to do is don't gamble with it. I mean, too many people have their IRAs and they have it in the stock market. They're buying individual stocks. They put it in the stock of their employer, uh, and only to see it all disappear. It was poor people who had their money at Enron, had it in Enron stock or General Motors stock or AIG stock or Citigroup stock or what have you. These people had all their money in their company stock, boom, it disappeared. Totally poof, gone. All right? So that's another thing. You don't want to lose your retirement money. Manage it properly. Another thing that people do wrong at retirement is that uh, before retirement is that a lot of people have been laid off or they, they switch jobs and and they opt uh, to cash out their 401k instead of rolling it over to an IRA account. Uh, and now they got the 10% tax penalty, all the taxes, they spend the money, and what was a nice little nest egg for the future uh, is gone. And it's amazing how many people have done that. Uh, and I understand, you know, you lose your job, you know, a lot of people have big nuts and there's no other way to turn and they got to do it. But um, it is a big, big mistake. The whole idea is when you leave a company, you want to roll over that um that money about the social security I, I found this on the internet you know people send you stuff all the time and I, I thought this was really interesting and whether it's, i haven't been able to check this out whether it's true or not but it says that have you noticed the social security check um, is now referred to as quote unquote federal benefit payment the government is now referring to our social security checks as a federal benefit payment uh, and this isn't a benefit it's earned income not only did we all contribute to Social Security, but our employers did too. It totaled 15% of our income before taxes. A lot of people don't know that, that you know, your employer matches your contribution to Social Security. That's 15% a year going into it. And if you average $30,000 a year over your working life, that's, that's $180,000 invested in Social Security. And if you calculate the future value of your monthly investment in Social Security, uh, just had a meager 1% return, uh, after 40 years of working, you'd have $1.3 million saved. Think about that. You know, you put your money in Social Security, and they tell you how much you're going to get. And if you die before retirement age, you get nothing. So all that money that you and your employer put in over those years goes to nobody. If you get two payments and you die, that's it. It's over. And... If you just took out 3% a year of that, you would have about $3,300 a month income as opposed to the average Social Security benefit of 1230 And your retirement fund would last more than uh, 33 years. And if you died, the money in that account would go to your family. But, you know, Washington pulled off the biggest Ponzi scheme, you know, 
that they possibly could have, and that's what Social Security is. Uh, as I said earlier, the government took uh, the $2.7 trillion and just took it in and used it elsewhere. And I guess they forgot or they actually knew that it was our money that they were taking. They didn't pay interest on the debt that they took. And uh, that's what's happened. Social Security has been a big Ponzi scheme. It's been a terrible thing for people. Private retirement accounts, I think, are more important. And it's up to you now to make sure that you take care of your retirement and you maximize the 401k and the Roth IRA. Time for another break. 866-472-5788 is our call number. My name is Louis Capigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician right here on the Variety Channel on voiceamerica.com. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. There should be mandatory personal finance courses taught in both high school and college. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Financial illiteracy is the number one reason the average American has little or no net worth. America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna, is here to help you now. Give him a call at 1-866-472-5788. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Lou. All right, welcome back to the program. Lou Skatigna here. We get together each and every Monday, 9 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. on the West Coast, and always archived here at voiceamerica.com. Remember my website, where we also have an archive of this program. We have a daily blog. We have all kinds of good stuff there. That's uh, thefinancialphysician.com. And my email address, love your emails, is lou, L-O-U, at thefinancialphysician.com. Com. And at the beginning of the program, we're talking about uh, what's happening in financial markets, how the stock market had this great first half up until the last couple of weeks, uh, how bonds are beginning to collapse uh, late in June as the Federal Reserve is intimating that it may slow down its quantitative easing program, although we don't believe that's going to happen for a minute, but the markets uh, are reacting to that. 
and we were talking about the potential for an uh, implosion in the economy as interest rates rise. I mean, this economy has been tepid at best, and that's what interest rates at zero with record uh, low mortgage rates. And we said that's changing now. We're seeing um, mortgage rates rise dramatically as bond market uh, rates go up as well. And uh, the vast majority of Americans are going to be absolutely blindsided by what's coming in the economy. They don't understand uh, how the financial system works. They don't understand how vulnerable the economy is right now. Not only the United States economy, but the world economy. And we all blindly trust our leaders that they'll always make the right decisions for us. And as a result, uh, most Americans just are not prepared uh, for the second round of, of the financial crisis, which really never ended. I mean, if it ended, the Fed would not have interest rates at zero, would not be printing $85 billion a month for five years. And here we are at the end of that period, and we see uh, the economy grew in the first quarter at 1.8%, which is very, very low. And now we start seeing interest rates going up, and we're seeing mortgage rates going up, and we're starting to see the economy now start to roll over again. And since most Americans live paycheck to paycheck, um, they are not ready at all for what's going to happen. And I, I truly believe that it is going to implode once again. I think it's going to happen. It's going to become pretty obvious this fall. Uh, when we see uh, second quarter GDP, but also third quarter GDP. And this economic collapse that's coming, I believe, is going to be far worse uh, than what we did, uh, we saw an experience in 2008. Why? Because the Federal Reserve doesn't have any more tools left. I mean, it's done everything it can, printed money like crazy, bought all our bonds, kept interest rates at zero, and it didn't work. So what could it do um, when we have the next crisis? This from... Um, a blog I like to read, the, the Economic Collapse blog. Uh, and he has an article here, 17 signs um, that most Americans will be wiped out by the coming economic collapse. According to a survey that was just released, 76% of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 76%. But most Americans are acting as if their jobs will always be there. But the truth is that mass layoffs can happen at any time. As a matter of fact, it just happened last week at one of the largest law firms in New York City. Laid off a lot of people. 27% of all Americans do not have a single penny saved up. One in four Americans have no money until they get their paycheck or their food stamps or their Social Security check. 46 of Americans, 46% of all Americans have $800 or less. Almost half the people in this country have less than $1,000 in savings. That's pretty scary stuff. Less than one out of every four Americans have, has enough money stored away to cover six months of expenses. And that's called the emergency fund. Everybody should have an emergency fund. Forget investing, forget saving for retirement. First thing everybody's got to do is save up six months living expenses. Well, people say, well, how can I do that? I can barely pay my bills. Well, that's because Americans lower themselves up with new cars, big houses, and credit cards, and all that, and all their money's going to paying for all that stuff. There's no money put aside for emergencies. And again, that's why people tap their 401k and their IRA accounts when, when, when they have uh, financial tightness. Wages continue to fall, even as the cost of living continues to go up. Today, the average income for the bottom 90% of all Americans, uh, uh, all income earners in America, is just 31244 that's the average income for 90% of all income earners in America, 31244 And an increasing, uh, increasing uh, percentage of American families are just trying to find a way to survive 
from month to month. 62% of all middle-class Americans say they have had to reduce household spending over the past year. Small business has become an endangered species in America. In fact, only about 7% of all non-farm workers in the United States are self-employed at this point. That means the vast majority of Americans are depending on someone else to provide them with income. Now, I've been self-employed since I was 22 years old. And I couldn't imagine working for somebody. I couldn't imagine working for a company or somebody else and having them after 25 years or 30 years of working for them, five years from retirement, being fired or downsized, as they want to call it. I couldn't imagine. Uh, being self-employed, obviously, is the way to go because you're the one who determines whether you're employed or not. In 1989, the debt-to-income ratio of the average American family was about 58%. Today, it's 154%. So people have 154% debt versus their income. Today, a higher percentage of Americans are dependent on the government than ever before. In fact, according to the Census Bureau, 49% of all Americans live in a home that gets direct monetary benefits from the federal government. So what is going to happen when the, the government... Uh, gravy train comes to an end because they just can't do it anymore. They don't have the money. Back in the 1970s, about one out of every 50 Americans was on food stamps. Today, about one out of every 6.5 is on food stamps. Record number of people on food. I think the last I heard was 49 million. It's estimated that less than 10% of the U.S. population owns any gold or silver for investment purposes. And that's the one way you protect yourself against a currency collapse or hyperinflation or what have you. It's been estimated that, that there are approximately 3 million preppers in the United States. But that means that almost everyone else is not prepping. And we mean by prepping, we mean having some food and some general items that you need every day in storage. Now, we have something called normalcy bias. We always believe that you know, things are, will be as they are in the future as they are today. We could walk into our local supermarket and every shelf is packed with stuff and we can get anything we need anytime we need it. Well, that's not necessarily true, especially in economic collapse. You would see inflation. You would see people going and emptying store shelves. You would see uh, shortages. A lot of that has to do with what's called... Um, uh, inflationary expectations. What if you like coffee and you buy coffee every week when you go shop and you buy a can of coffee? And what if you think that it's going to go up 30% in the next couple of months? Well, what you're going to do is buy as much as you can now, right? That would make sense. Buy it now while it's cheaper. And everybody else will think the same thing, and you'll wind up with empty shelves because everybody bought the coffee. And in our economy, it's just-in-time supply chains. If demand spikes like that, there's no coffee ready to be put on the shelves. They only get a certain amount per week, and uh, it's in the system that way. They can't ramp that up that quickly. And that's inflationary expectations, which makes people panic even more and buy anything, anything they can. Or if you have a natural disaster or whatever, it's so important to have at least a month's worth of food, water, and things that you would need every day in your house. But only 3 million, out of th uh, 300 million people in the United States, only 3 million, 1%. Uh, our preppers. Forty-four percent of all Americans do not have first aid kits in their house. Do you believe that? Got to have first aid kit. Forty-eight percent of all Americans do not have any emergency supplies stored up. And I saw that here when we had Hurricane Sandy come through. 
uh, and uh, the stores were closed, gas stations were closed. Many people didn't have any food or water. After a day, they didn't have anything. And you couldn't go shopping. You couldn't leave certain areas. There was no power. The stores weren't open. You've got to have the ability to take care of yourself, at least your family and you, for a month. And it doesn't take that much to do that. You buy cans of food, and you store it in your basement. You buy bottles of water, store it. Every time you go shopping, buy a case of something else and put it away for the future. So you have it. Slowly build it up. One survey asked Americans how long they thought they would survive if the electrical grid went down for an extended period of time. Incredibly, 21% said that they would survive for less than a week. An additional 28% said they would survive for less than two weeks, and nearly 75% said they would be dead before the two-month mark. 75%. According to a survey conducted by the Adelphi University Center for Health Innovation, 55% of Americans believe that the government will come to their rescue when disaster strikes. Well, uh, ask the people in Katrina. And again, just because you're living a comfortable middle-class lifestyle today it does not mean it will always be that way. And if, and, and if you doubt this, take a look at what's going on in Greece. Now, many formerly uh, middle-class um, parents in Greece have become so impoverished that they're actually dumping their children at orphanages so they won't starve. That's what's going on in Greece. Scores of children have been put in orphanages and care homes for economic reasons. One charity said 80 of the 100 children in its residential centers were there because their families can no longer provide for them. 10% of Greek children are said to be at risk of hunger. Teachers talk of canceling physical ed lessons because children are underfed and of seeing pupils pick through bins of food. This is what's going on in a Western economy. So don't think it can't happen here. And if the economy crashes and you lose your job, how will you and your family survive? You've got to think about that. But you and your family end up hopeless, and I should say homeless, and totally dependent on the government. So there's still time, maybe, to prepare yourself. There's still time to uh, store up some food. And I'm not trying to say this as a, a fear monger. I mean, good times are bad. We should all have our own store of, of basic items that we need to live for a month because you can't, you can't rest assured that the government will be there for you, that stores will always be open for you, that you'll be able to provide for yourself. So make plans now, and hopefully the worst won't happen. All right, that's the end of our program. It goes so fast here on The Financial Physician. I call it the fastest hour in financial talk radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember the website, thefinancialphysician.com. My email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Have a wonderful week, and please join me next Monday and every Monday for the next edition of The Financial Physician. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.